You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. There was a specific project for me that taught me how to think about different metrics of success. And on that specific project, it was Mm. talking to certain people who had come to see the show and to whom the show was really meaningful. Then I was like, okay, on this particular show, my metric of success is what this group of audience members felt coming out of this show. If that's always the way that you sort of approach making art, then everything will be successful in some way. everyone. Welcome to Was It Chance, the podcast about embracing opportunity and taking intentional risk for your creative life. I'm Heather Vickery. And I'm Alan Seals. And Heather and I started off as two perfect strangers who met by <laughs> chance and just embraced an opportunity and started a podcast. Listen in as we chat with other successful people about the risks they've taken to put themselves on a path to creative success. So we actually have, Heather, two guests today not just one this is our first double guester and uh they're talking about a film that they made together and so i want to actually read about the film before i get into who they are so in my best like you know coming the summer voice here we go and i've got some music for us too in the wake of the global pandemic the show must go on chronicles the race against time to save live theater and focuses in on some of the musical theater well i messed it up some of the theater makers determined to win it in march of 2020 and for the first time in history the performing arts were decimated worldwide when theater shut down indefinitely in every country except one South Korea. From the front lines in Seoul, the film follows a company of artists involved in two theatrical productions, the world tour of Phantom of the Opera and the South Korean tour of Cats, two of the productions that pushed ahead safely during the pandemic. Uh. Wow. It is too early for that, Alan. And a continent away in the UK. The film simultaneously follows Andrew Lloyd Webber, composer of Cats and the Phantom of the Opera, among much else. He uses the example set by his Korean colleagues to fight for the theater's future on the West and beyond. The show must go on, chronicles the survival of the performing arts and worldwide, worldwide resuscitation of an art form. All right, that's enough cats for me. The show must go on, co-directed and produced by both Sammy Dor- Sammy Dorenstein, Dory Berenstein, <laughs> and Sammy Gannold. <laughs> this is what happens when I let Alan do all of the pre-work. <laughs> More coffee. Sammy Dory Dorenstein. That, have you ever been called that before, Sammy? I've Gannold? never been called that. No. That's a, a, a wild hybrid. <laughs> 
Oh my. This is worlds colliding for me and I am so <laughs> I am so happy. Heather podcaster, Dory podcaster, business partner, producer, Broadway lover, Sammy like producer, director, podcaster. All of this is coming together in such a fun way and we'll get into bios in, later because you guys both have bios that are longer than my arms. But I want to talk about the show must go on because this is a documentary and Sammy this is your first documentary dory this is your like umpteenth million documentary so <laughs> where did the two of you even get the idea to start recording this filming this making this sorry it cut out um i don't know what you asked i'll move to the other room though in a world oh. where sammy doesn't have good wi-fi <laughs> she has to move to another room i'm moving to the other room <laughs> well so while sammy is moving to the other room you know, this show is about embracing opportunity, taking intentional risks to be creative. And hopefully that leads us to success, but it leads us to creativity, which is something that we had to go out of our way to have during the pandemic. And I think that's one of what I love the most about your documentary is you brought all of those things together. So yeah, I'm, I'm with Alan. I want to know how, how this came to be. Yeah, well, exactly what you're talking about. I mean, we there Sammy will go into detail but but uh you know, in essence there were people all over the world when theater shut down that came to Korea to keep theater alive to put the show on and we wanted to celebrate that we wanted to document that uh at the beginning of uh of the pandemic I was uh alone uh in my apartment very bummed out that you know our our life form had sort of just disappeared you know there was no Theater, theater makers all around the world were um, sort of confused about what to do, how to make a living. Um, that's not news to anybody here. I was FaceTiming with my friend, Kristen Blodgett, who is the musical supervisor of Phantom of the Opera World Tour, and she supervises a lot of the Cats tours that go out around the world. This was June of 2020, and she said at some point in our FaceTime, oh, you know, in a few weeks I'm actually going to South Korea to um, mount uh, the South Korean tour of Cats. And I was dumbfounded because at the time, nobody was going anywhere, let alone going anywhere to do theater. I was asking, you know, how is that possible? I'd heard that, you know, the Phantom of the Opera was, um, at the time that it opened in Korea, the only large-scale English language production running anywhere in the world. So I knew that something was going on in South Korea, but um, didn't quite realize that it was the country that was sort of like keeping um, musical theater alive. I immediately was like, this has to be documented. And I went to Dory, who also happens to be my mother. And, uh, <laughs> you know, because she's a, a, a very experienced documentarian. And I said, you know, I've, I've never made a documentary before. Do you want to like partner on this? Because I can get on a plane and go to Korea, but I don't know what I'm doing. And you know what you're doing. So maybe we have sort of a way to, to work together here. And she said yes immediately. And then we wrote to Andrew Lloyd Webber and we said, hey, can we um, document what your productions are doing in, in Korea? Um, and he said yes. And all the other parties said yes. And then we were sort of off and running from, from there. We had that question. My partner and I watched the documentary last night. We couldn't quite figure out if people were filming their own things, if you had the idea after and you just like worked really hard to piece these things together. So you actually went and filmed this live. Wow. Like there was a crew with you. <laughs> Couldn't have been much of one. Uh, I think it was much more ragtag than than you'd you'd think. First of all, this was June and July of 2020. There was no vaccine. 
We were all quarantined. Nobody was going anywhere. And, you know, it's not like, hey, let's hire a crew. Let's go to Korea. It wasn't like that. It was much more kind of daredevil and getting on a plane. Yeah. Which Sammy did. We really had three weeks prep, which is crazy for a doc. You just don't have three weeks prep. I had been shooting a doc in Korea pre-pandemic and had uh, did have a shooter on the ground uh, that because it was the pandemic, he was available um, uh, and was willing to, to take this on. But, you know, we kind of threw ourselves into this without having any real plan in place, other than getting thumbs up and yeses from, from people. We had to figure it out as as everything um, unfolded. And Sammy was frontline and, and really... Um, you know, went into this not knowing what was ahead, never having done a doc, never having um, shot anything before. Um, and she had uh, had to figure it out as she went along. And yeah. so um, it really was, was kind of crazy. In answer to your question, we immediately contacted the casts of both shows uh, and asked that they document their own travel to Korea as they were coming from South Africa and of uh, the Philippines and Australia and the UK and the United States, all from all over the world descending on South Korea to, to help save theater. And so we asked them to document their own travel moments. And so, and then we pick up with them in Korea. I have four daughters and I'm very curious as a mother, <laughs> right? And a and a artist and a creator and a producer and all of these amazing things you do. The show must go on, no pun intended. But the mother side of you sending your child out into this pandemic world, like what was that like for you? Um, that's a really good question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, one, there was no stopping her. Two, it was very clear that things were only getting worse in New York and. Sammy was smack in the middle of New York City, and things in Korea, uh, as we document in the film, were, uh, at the time, far more under control. I mean, there was still uh, COVID yeah. being, you know, spread all over the place, but I felt that she, and she'll go into detail about being embedded with both productions, but that it was actually a safer place, yeah. and uh, it also would give her purpose, and it was a I felt, we felt very strongly, it was a very important moment to capture. For all those reasons, it was not easy wearing the mom hat. It was mm -hmm. torture having her so far away from me every single day, every single moment. But um, uh, it was it was the right thing to do as her business partner. And it was also wearing the mom hat again. I felt she was in a yeah. relatively safer situation. I think I was also just dri driving her nuts, calling every day, uh, uh, just being like, what is my life's purpose? I can't make theater. And she was like, okay, well, we need to get her busy doing something. <laughs> um, I can see the mom's side so of that. Accurate. Yeah. That is so accurate. Yes. But something you said, as I watched the show, I found myself getting re-angry re at the way the pandemic was handled here in the United States because of how Korea handled it, which was, they really mitigated it well, and uh, we didn't. So you were probably better off, Sammy. Sammy, what was that like for you, for you going out there and 
and being able to like literally when we see in the documentary you sit down with andrew lloyd weber and you're talking with him and he's probably like was he in south korea the whole time or did he just fly out or like that whole process of working with the team and like what dory was saying uh being embedded with the cast right so you i guess did you become part of their bubble and what was that like for you just sitting out there watching this happen in somewhat of a i mean it sounds like it was somewhat of a normal tech uh opening process in this country that actually handled it way better than the u.s did yeah so i um you know when i got to korea i had to quarantine for two weeks in a government facility um and basically what that meant was that i was put in a hotel room um i was not allowed to leave the hotel room i was told that if i left i would be deported um they brought three meals a day they came to the room and tested us it was you know it was pretty intense and then once i was out then I was in the the bubble. I started with the Cats Company, and I would sort of switch back and forth between the Cats Company and the Phantom Company um, uh, at different times. You know, each time there was sort of a process to make sure that I wasn't being a bridge between the two companies because that would also be sort of problematic. They, the companies were not integrated. You know, but it was amazing because I, you know, as a director, uh, a theater director, I never get to go on tour. You know, it's not, there's, uh, unless you're like a resident on a tour, it's very rare that theater directors get to, to go on tour. And all of a sudden I was like getting to live my best life on a cat's tour. Like it was just, you know, a, a very bizarre, um, you know, gift and, and, and experience in that way. Um, and uh, the, the, the Andrew portion of it, we um, actually shot that in London. So when I was, uh, done in Korea. I stayed there for three months. And then once we were done shooting in Korea, um, I flew to London where there was no quarantine. Then I interviewed Andrew there and did some other shoots that are in the film uh, there in London. Um, because part of what we were trying to communicate in the film is that Korea really pioneered how to reopen um, and then London learned from Korea and then we learned from London. And I think that memorializing how that happened is really important to me um, and I know Dory as well, like that theatrical history documents that in this moment of need, it was South Korea that, that, that led the way. That's so cool. You mentioned something that you sit in a government facility. So did you have to get government permission to do this? Or was it just like anybody coming in from certain countries had to quarantine and the government monitored it? Or like, were they involved with the process at all other than just quarantining? Yeah. In, in my case, it was just sort of like, um, I just showed up and I had to fill out some paperwork ahead of time, but it wasn't like I didn't get special permission. Um, because you are during the pandemic, you were allowed to go to Korea without a visa if it was for under 90 days. Um, so that's why I left at the culmination of, of three months. I, I would have kept living in Korea because it was great. I mean, it was like a functional. But if but the, the Cats company and the Phantom company, everybody working in those companies, they all had visas. And so the government knew there were these people from all over the world that were coming in and were cool with it and excited about it. And really, you know, it's the Korean government kept theaters open when it seemed like they wouldn't. You know, there was a time while I was there where professional sports teams were not allowed to um, practice, but theater could happen. There was a time where uh, nursery schools were shut down, wow. but theater was allowed to to stay open. Um, it was just, you know, the, the government recognized that the way protocol work in the theater makes the theater uniquely safe when compared to other public activities. 
and allowed it to 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 stay open. All right, so we're relocating Broadway to South Korea. I think that's. The <laughs> I think that's. Story. I think that's the message. Like, that's the most logical thing. So, Dory, <laughs> what were you working on while Sammy was in South Korea? I'm sure you, you found lots of ways to stay busy, but what was happening for you? Where were you, and and what was happening for you? I basically didn't move from this spot for two years, uh, <laughs> <laughs> almost. This um, there was a lot. There actually was quite a bit of shooting that we did in the tri-state area. I was um, capturing uh, things locally. I was also producing from afar because obviously we had to uh, manage all the crew. We also had to manage yeah. the footage that was coming in and uh, bring on an editorial team, manage uh, all the, the 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 footage and figure out how we were going to capture it, figure out all the rights issues, the music issues, you know, everything that was around putting this film together. There was a tremendous amount to do, not, not to mention raising the financing for it. Yeah. And uh, because it, you know, obviously this all costs money to do. We have tremendous partners on this project that really from the get-go said, we're in, we're, we want this to mm -hmm. happen. We want to support this. And, and Liz Armstrong was there day one um, and so grateful for that. And WYSIWYG. Executive producer. Uh, executive producer and WYSIWYG in uh, South Korea also um, joined forces with us. And we're so grateful to both of them. Heather, I want to also point out that both of these two individuals we are talking to today are two of the most humble, non-braggery people ever that you will meet. So <clears throat> Dory Berenstein is an Emmy Award-winning documentarian, four-time Tony Award-winning Broadway producer, Olivier Award winner, and most recently joined Ryan Murphy as the producer of Golden Globe Award-nominated Netflix feature adaptation of her musical, The Prom, and also co-founded uh, Broadway Podcast Network with yeah. me and is the CEO. Sammy just a few is things. just a few things. Sammy is a director who's one of Forbes magazine's 30 under 30 and worked for CBS, Nickelodeon, Paramount Plus, Cirque du Soleil. Uh, we mentioned this is her first documentary feature, but now has um, new projects, including musicals, revivals, feature films. She's been an associate director on Great Comet with Josh Groban. I mean, come on. These two people are like you asked her. You asked Dory what she's doing. All well, she answered was about this project. No, 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 no. Busy. <laughs> no, what I'm saying is Dory's not going to be the one to tell you everything she was doing because we have to break. We have to say what she's doing. And Sammy too. The two of them are like. The, I, I've never met two people, by the way, Heather, that are the least. They have the least amount of ego in this business. Show business is all about ego and these two yeah. people do it for the for the art of creating and for the love of theater, not for themselves. And that's mm. so fucking rare in this business from sure. a from a creative standpoint. <laughs> I think that showed in the documentary. Thanks guys. That it's about creativity. That's <laughs> so so nice. <laughs> and, um, and one of the exciting things that, that we went through, Dory, and this applied to sort of everything is as the pandemic hit we're launching a podcast network. We have to figure out how to go virtual, how to record over the internet, how to how, how to exist without in-person opportunities. And so I remember uh, Sammy, like it was opening night of, I think it was Cats, right? Where it was one of the early, early days of figuring out how to <laughs> record people remotely. We had you interviewing... Um, who are you interviewing um, in the house before the house opened on opening night? Kristen Blodgett. Oh, yeah. that's right. That's yeah. right, Alan. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, that was a, a beautiful moment in the film, and and thank you for making that happen. Yeah. So yeah. We, I mean, you're welcome. We we had to figure out how to capture on the fly 
last minute it was well, you know we're 12 hour difference or something whatever it was so it's literally like the morning time here in new york and it's uh, you're literally getting kicked out of the house you you woke up very early to do that <laughs> <laughs> it's time for today's lucky land horoscope with victoria cash life's gotten mundane so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to lucky land you know what they say your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandslots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandslots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. And so it's, it's I love the chance encounter of all of this because, yeah. I mean, again, like, this is the time you know don't don't be humble right i want to we want to know <laughs> i mean you, you're just like yeah i just i just contacted andrew lloyd weber like everybody just can't contact andrew lloyd weber right <laughs> so you just contacted the this guy who a couple of people have heard of and you just happen to get these producers and then you just happen to fly out there and then you like along the way what looking back what's what are some of the biggest chances that both of you were able to embrace to really Pull, pull this project together and make it come together. You mentioned at the beginning a lot of what you know you talk about on on this podcast is about taking mm -hmm. risks and and I think that there it was a huge risk to go make this film. We didn't know if Phantom and Cats were going to make it. You know, we didn't know if Cats was going to open, we didn't know if Phantom was going to stay open. You know, in fact, uh you know both shows were basically able to survive Korea. Phantom then went to um to Taiwan. But then it had a whole leg of its tour in China that uh, had to be uh, called uh -huh. off because of COVID. And, and so we, we felt very lucky that there was actually something to document because I could have showed up in Korea and both shows could have been shut down, you know. Yeah. Talk and, about risk. Yeah. yeah, it was just sort of like, what are we going to find? And, and we sort of came to the conclusion that like, if that was what happened, we would document that too. We just wanted to capture a moment in time and how a community was sort of approaching it and struggling with it. And I think I'm, you know, from a dramatic storytelling perspective, I'm very grateful that the film ends on a note of triumph and on a note of inspiring others to follow suit. Um, but it could have been a very different film. Um, and uh, so, um, you know, I think I think a lot of a lot of a lot had to be put on the table with hope and confidence from all involved parties, and we're we're really grateful for that. I'm just going to add that I think that on, on the risk-taking front, um, you know, when there were limitations on what we, how we could capture in um, what was going on in mm -hmm. Korea, we were allowed to have a crew of two, and that mm -hmm. included Sammy. Mm -hmm. So we had a shooter and we had Sammy. 
and we had a giant musical and and a huge cast and that you know having done many documentaries about theater that's not how you do it <laughs> and <laughs> sammy sammy wasn't a, a a shooter she wasn't she had never done this before and so you know in terms of risk creatively as well as practically kind of just to to dive into this situation in a foreign country with a crew she didn't hadn't worked with before um and earn everyone's trust so that they were comfortable with her um, capturing all the behind the scenes uh, of both of two separate companies and learning how to shoot <laughs> and do, you know, all all that she had to do. It's quite, quite extraordinary. Um, you know, she's not going to say it, but I will say it for her. And I think when you look at the film, you know, it, it's certainly... It's a little scrappy, as it should be under the circumstances. Mm -hmm. But, you know, given the reality of how it was captured, it's extraordinary, I think, you know, yeah. that we really were able to to tell this story and and uh, capture sound. Oh, my goodness. Just basically capture sound, capture capture the visuals and have everyone on board to being part of this and kind of Herculean. And um, uh, what a partner. Is all I can say. Um, what a partner. I love that. Sammy, I'd be curious to know while you were on the ground in Korea, I mean, what chance opportunities presented themselves that you didn't anticipate? You were like, oh, we're going to lean in this way. Oh, I'm going to do it like this. We we had a, a, a very funny phrase because there were a lot of Australians uh, working on both shows. And in Australia, you call a documentary a doco, um, which I find very funny. <laughs> um, and uh, so we had we had a saying when anything bad would happen, because I would always just grab the camera right away and start filming. And I, like, I would sort of get excited when bad things would happen, which is, is <laughs> sick, but, but it would be like, oh, I would be like, that's drama. Um, and, and these aren't like people dying bad things. They're like, you know, theatrically speaking, bad things. Um, uh, but- uh, I broke a shoelace. Exactly. I'd be like, oh my God, drama. Um, uh, but uh, <laughs> we had this phrase <laughs> that was like, bad for the humans, good for the doco. Um, so anytime anything <laughs> bad would happen, we'd go like, ah, bad for the humans, good for the doco. The biggest one of those was basically that when the Phantom Tour was, when I got there, the Phantom Tour was finishing up in Seoul and it was about to go to another Korean city called Daegu. And Daegu was the epicenter of the outbreak of COVID in South Korea. It was one of the first cities in the world, you know, to get to get significantly hit. So it was a really big deal that Phantom was coming back to Daegu, that it was reopening the city. And just as Phantom was about to go from Seoul to Daegu, numbers started to go up again. It got very, very um, dramatic very quickly. Obviously, that was was difficult for the Phantom company, but it was very dramatic for the camera. <laughs> The power of television. <laughs> yeah, it's um, we 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 were not there, you know, because uh, Phantom opened in Korea on April first, twenty twenty, and if I had had the you know foresight to know to be there on April first, twenty twenty, certainly we would have been there. But all of that, you know, the two COVID cases that came up in the Phantom Company, which is a large part of what we follow mm -hmm. in the Phantom storyline in the film, all of that happened be before I. I got there, but through the generosity of the company members sharing iPhone footage with us, um, mm. through you know other things that we were through interviews, um, we were able to sort of document that part of it retroactively, and then everything after June in real time. What's the what's the the chance of I guess uh, Dory from your experience using 
iPhones, because Sammy just mentioned the iPhone footage. And and when we've been on shoots together, you're always capturing 4K cam- uh, footage with your iPhone 26, whatever it is. And <laughs> like back in the day, literally back in the day, like five, six years ago, you couldn't use not footage off of cameras like this. I do it all the time. There, there are apps that uh, allow you to capture 4K footage on your iPhone. I'm shooting other docs right now, and I, and I, in particularly in situations where you have to be a little discreet, you can't have a whole crew behind you, or you're, you're on the move, or something happens spontaneously. You have, you have a real good quality camera with you. I think the the problem is more. Um, that it's uh, you have you don't have the sound support that you need to really mm. capture something incredible. So it's supplementary. But, um, you know, I've uh, often when I know I'm in a shoot where I have great sound, I will I will get I'll be the fourth camera. Or I'll be the second camera or whatever with my iPhone. And that footage has consistently been great. I love it. And and uh, it's all over the movie that you saw. The show must go on. What's one of the biggest apparent setbacks when the two of you started to film and put footage together and things where you're like, I don't know how we're going to overcome this, that you all of a sudden turned around. You're like, oh, this is great. Actually, we can pivot this way. And all of a sudden it becomes this great thing. Uh, Well, interestingly, we were we were only originally going to follow the the cat's company because that's what was happening in in real time. Um, I mean, the, their their process was happening in real time. Um, and then there were some like travel complications. Things got a little complicated. And uh, Gareth Hewitt-Williams, who's in the film quite a lot, who is producer, general manager extraordinaire, who really is is a large part of why these shows succeeded. Um, he said, you know, do you want to follow Phantom 2? That's kind of like the big one. Uh, you know, not that Cats isn't the big one, but that was the one that 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 succeeded when all else was was not open we were like oh duh like why 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 didn't we think of that um ourselves and so um that was how we ended up following both shows not just not just one oh, that's that's great and in the film itself premiered in the majestic theater uh which is home to phantom here in new york we really wanted to help bring broadway back and uh, having the event at the Majestic was just uh, really just so meaningful to all of us, you know, to help welcome Phantom back to, you know, kind of a post-COVID world, even though it wasn't post-COVID, and uh, to to help let the world know that Broadway was back. It, it was just an epic night, and we, you know, were so fortunate to have incredible performers that joined us that night. Um, Adrian Warren and Ariana DeBose and Josh Groban and uh, uh, Sierra Bogus and on and on and on that helped us welcome uh, not just Broadway back, but uh, a giant audience that hadn't been in the theater for over two and a half years. It was it was quite a, a thrilling night. One of the things that that you said a second ago, Sammy, we have seen a consistent theme with everyone we've interviewed on this show where your community, your network, the people that you choose to spend your time with always has this tremendous ripple effect in your opportunities, your chances, your creativity. And I just love seeing that come full circle. Like that's how Phantom became part of your show, um, part of your film. And for listeners, I just want them to know 
how powerful that is. Talk to people, know people, make friends, not because you want something from them, but because you want to grow your soul community and haha, soul community, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> and and then you just kind of never know. Yeah. I mean, I think that one of the things I'm most grateful for on this film is just the people from all over the world that, um, you know, we got to meet and work with and our Korean partners and um, our, our partners in London and our partners in Australia. And like, you know, it. I think it's a reminder that the theater community, the entertainment community is global. And sometimes we are so, um, you know, Broadway centric. And um, I think it's it's important to remember that we are a, a global a global community yeah. and there are people all around the world who are amazing, who, you know, we can we can be in conversation with. I want to pivot and back up on the general industry of show business and Broadway and TV and film and whatnot. And Dory, I, I want to get into your history in a second, because you originally went into finance before all of this bullshit in, in business. So we'll get to that. But Sammy, as the as growing up with all of this around you, were was there ever uh, did you ever want to do anything else? And then at what point were you like, eh, I'm going to take a chance and just try to make it in this business where it's literally next to impossible to make it? Yeah. You know, it's <laughs> it's funny. I um, I was so lucky that, you know, my childhood, I was like immersed in in all things Broadway. I just hung out in the back of the theater. I was doing homework and rehearsals. I was, you know, it was just like what a gift of, of an upbringing. And early on, my parents sort of identified directing before I even knew what directing was. Not that they, you know, pushed on me, but they would, I, I would do this thing um, where they would bring back little shampoo bottles from hotel rooms <laughs> and I would put on little shows with the shampoo <laughs> bottles like on kids. the bathroom counter. <laughs> it's like, and, you know, so very early, the word director was like always sort of associated with me. It was like, you know, oh, she's going to be director or whatever. And then I had these like bizarre opportunities when I was in middle school to like direct, uh, direct little I'm doing quotations. <laughs> you can see it. Little productions with with you know fellow middle schoolers. The the drama was that when I was in high school, I had a little period of revolt where I was just not having it with the idea of doing what my parents did. I was mm. like, I don't want people to say, oh, she has a career because, you know, her parents are producers or whatever. Like, I just didn't like the 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 narrative of it. I wanted to make my own way. Um, so I like made a hard left turn and I uh, thought I was going to go into education policy. Wow. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Uh, quite quite a distinction. Um, I went to uh, I went to college for a combination of education policy and international relations because I, I sort of wanted to do something international. And, and was that um, Stanford or and Harvard? No joke. Stan Stanford. Right. Right. Okay. Stanford. You help because you have a, a BA yeah. from Stanford and an MA from Harvard. Just putting that out there for I the do. listeners. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm fortunate. Yeah. Three weeks into college, I was like, oh. I have to get over my little revolt because theater is what I'm meant mm -hmm. to do, not um, education policy. No offense to education policy. The irony is now I'm sort of working a little bit in education policy and international relations. So <laughs> um, it, it, it all comes back around. But um, that's uh, great. Everything. I think that's part of the beauty of being an artist is that like things from, you know, all corners of your life can sort of merge into to, to what you're doing. Dory, on your end, talk about coming, going into college, going into finance and realizing, yeah, this isn't for me. Well, I, I never, ever, ever 
had any intention of having a career in finance. That was never going to be me. Uh, was not where my passion was. Um, my passion was definitely, uh, I'd say it was split between the arts, theater, television, film. I wanted to be a storyteller. Um, I had no talent to be on stage and uh, knew no one at all. And so figuring out how to, um, you know, I had no exposure to the behind the curtain of it all. Had no idea how to become somebody in that world. And when I was graduating uh, from college, all of the mentors that I had, my, my parents, they said, you need to get uh, a foundation in business and finance and whatever you end up doing. Mm, you know, that's going to serve you well. And I, I, I had no way into the world of theater. I had no way into the world of film and television. I didn't know anybody. And, you know, I was writing all these cold letters to people. Um, and I thought, you know, this is, this will be a good thing in the long run. And, um, there was an opportunity, uh, to interview for a job that was considered, uh, you know, a hot job in that world at Morgan Stanley and mergers and acquisitions and, um, kind of, uh, uh, was fortunate enough to get it and was thrown into the fire. Oh my goodness. That was intense and learned so much. So it was like an amazing education in business and finance and strategic planning, um, and, uh, I, I am so grateful I did it, but not for one second did I ever think this is what I'll be doing. This was laying the groundwork for, yeah. um, you know, a, a knowledge that will come in handy when I really get to do what I really want to do. I mean, hugely beneficial in producing, obviously <laughs> numbers yeah. are really important. Cool. No, it gives you, you know, uh, just a comfort level. I, I, it, it's not an area that scares me at all. And I think without that experience, without that training, um, it may may have whether or not it would have been, it would have felt a little bit more daunting, and it isn't to me. So that that helps. For both of you, looking back across across your careers thus far, and both of you have long careers ahead of you still. Um, what what is one of the earliest things that you can each remember where it was like one of the biggest risks, where you're like, if this doesn't work, I don't know what I'm going to do, and then on the flip side of that, something that didn't work that you were able to turn into triumph, yeah. that you were able to make take advantage of and push forward using the benefit of the, I'll that put in failure. air quotes, initial failure. And I would say a pandemic is actually pretty high on the list of things that, you know, <laughs> screw things up and make Other people Other than the adapt. pandemic, yeah. I'll say in the, in the first category, you know, the the... The very first thing that I, I directed in New York was um, a concert rendition of Ragtime that was um, site-specific on Ellis Island. And it originally, the idea was to sort of test out the music on the island, like with friends around a piano. And then it kind of just snowballed because we asked Laura Michelle Kelly to play Mother and didn't expect her to say yes, you know, and then she said yes. And we were like, oh, no, like now it's like a really big deal. Um, and, and so then we had to sort of like find other <laughs> actors who were sort of at her her caliber. And it snowballed and it got really, really big. And it was being followed by a lot of press. And I was 22. Um, no, I was 21. And, you know, and I was very stressed out by the idea that it could succeed or fail. I I was like, oh, my life will look really different if this succeeds or this fails. And I think that's sort of like a bit of a melodramatic thing that a lot of um, <laughs> emerging artists take on, um, you know, where they're like, if this show doesn't 
you don't get good reviews. My life is over, you know, and and I think um, I've since learned <laughs> that maybe that's a little bit too uh, too dramatic. But but it definitely certainly <laughs> felt that way at the time. And um, I, I, I often when you're in, in it, I feel like most artists can relate to that. It does feel that way. You're like, oh, the world is over if this doesn't go. Oh, yeah. If this doesn't go well. Whatever you're experiencing in the moment feels like the biggest thing you've ever experienced, I think, in so many cases. Yeah. Dory, I know you're thinking hard. Oh, my goodness. I don't even know where to begin on that. I, I think that that um, early on, I learned that it was all about storytelling. And I wanted, uh, and it wasn't about the platform. And I was very mm-hmm. fortunate early on to have many, many different experiences in so many different realms, whether it was film or television or special effects or, you know, whatever it was that that I became very platform agnostic. And I, I'm going to talk about um, meeting podcaster Alan Seals. <laughs> I, I, was, I love this I, story, actually. I was in, uh, you know, uh, I had produced the prom and we went down to Google to have uh, an exciting afternoon at Google Talks. And I met this guy who was running Google Talks and we just started to talk and you know, I I think uh, it was one of those moments where, uh, you know, you you meet somebody and it sounds like the same thing happened with the two of you, where we just started, you know, we we ended up getting together to to just chat about our shared love of podcasts. And it was like, hey, let's start a podcast network. (laughs) And (laughs) I think because um, of having so many different experiences in film and television, special effects, and all these different worlds, that it, not for one second, I think for either of us, was it daunting that, oh, I, wait a minute, I don't know know anything about (laughs) podcasting, like nothing, I just listened to them. You know, it never occurred to me to think, well, maybe I better think about what I'm agreeing to do here. And what, what, what does it mean to run a (laughs) podcast network? And what, 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 what what's involved in that and who is this guy i just met him um (laughs) you know there wasn't anything normal about the situation but yet we just said let's do this and and uh and and we were off and running and we did it and uh it's been a tremendous partnership and a a wonderful um you know i think the broadway podcast network um, has had great success and also uh, it really is a labor of love so um Mm. you know i think being fearless a little bit, um, maybe ignorant, <laughs> maybe naive, but or just throwing yourself into, yeah, yeah, throwing yourself into various fires and just, you know, seeing what happens. And I think the film is very much like that too. We didn't know what was going to unfold or if it was going to work or anything. And, um, you know, to me, those kind of ventures are very um, thrilling. They're really exciting because you have to, in the moment, figure out how to make it work. And the Broadway Podcast Network, every step of the way <laughs> is figuring out how to make it work and reinventing. And 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 and, um, and it's extremely challenging, as was this film, but it's also extremely satisfying. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. I want to point out too that I, I've said, remember that Dory is not one to brag, Heather. And every now and then we'll just be talking and we're like, oh yeah, so-and-so, blah, blah, blah. And Dory's like, well, here's a picture of me with that person from like 20 years yeah, ago. Yeah, you do the it. same it, thing. No, 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 no. This is different. Like like Fred no. Savage, I want to say, but look, look in the video and we'll post this video online. So behind Dory's head are two green gloves. Those are from Shrek the Musical, right? Those are, those are the Shrek gloves. And then right in between is a little gray glove that is from Little Monsters, because Dory was part of the team, the production team that made Little Monsters happen. And before that, if you watch the movies who made us on Netflix, Dory is interviewed because she was part of the Dirty Dancing team that made that happen. I get messages all the time from people who say, I just watched the story of how you were born on Netflix. Because in that special, <laughs> they tell the story. <laughs> I know. It, my my parents met working on Dirty Dancing, so they in in that Netflix special they they tell the story of how they met and you know fell in love. It's very personal. It's a little weird. It's on Netflix, <laughs> but it is. You know that is that is not what we talked about. I think that was a little manipulative of the team that made that 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 um, and they the, went the way it's edited. It is like a love story. <laughs> And we were we were only there to talk about the creation of the film. So liberties were taken, I must say, and I'm sure that's a little awkward for Sam. Well, so my point of bringing all this up is that you've got these these milestones where you're like, we're, we've literally changed the world. We've made this movie and we've made that show and we've done this. And these are these are movies that shaped people's movies and shows that have cha- shaped people's entire entire lives yes. because it influences them influences them in their childhood but on the flip side what people don't want to ask about what people don't talk about are all the things that don't work yeah. because everything that you put out there doesn't everything that anyone put out puts out there doesn't automatically work it takes a lot of effort a lot of risk a lot of pivoting when failure is about to hit or does hit whatever that case is so i, I guess like for both of you too, do you do you each have one of these moments where you're like, I don't want to talk about that anymore. This is horrible. I'm gonna ask you to talk about it. But do you not want to talk <laughs> about anything that you're like, okay, I've learned from this. I know not to do that again. This has been a an experience that I will take and improve upon next time, but no one needs to know about it. Yeah. So let's or, talk about or it. even a failure that turned out so much better than what you had planned. I never I try never to think of any given project as a a failure, even if it didn't turn out as I wanted it to, because it's a question of how do we measure success? Like, because I think that when I first started getting reviewed as a theater director, it like crushed me because I was like, oh, you work for years on one thing. And then some person you don't know says something about it. And that is the mark of whether or not it's, it's successful. There was a specific project for me that taught me 
how to think about different metrics of success. And on that specific project, it was Mm. talking to certain people who had come to see the show and to whom the show was really meaningful. Then I was like, okay, on this particular show, my metric of success is what this group of audience members felt coming out of this show. That to me makes me feel like it was successful. And I think if that's always the way that you sort of approach something like that, like approach making art, then everything will be successful in some way. Um, It's just the metric might might change. For me, one example would be the prom, which it it was a... the hardest musical, hardest theater project I ever worked on in terms of getting it to Broadway because of the subject matter was very challenging for a lot of people and uh, it shouldn't be. And that's why we were making it. Uh, But our metric um, at the beginning, and obviously the the show made it to Broadway. The show was wildly successful in so many ways on Broadway. The show became a major motion picture and now is touring the country and uh, and all of that. And, And so... Uh, to Sammy's point, speaking about metrics, it was never about, you know, how many awards can we win? It was never about, how, you know, we wanted, of course, to do justice to our um, investors and make money and do well in that way. But uh, but it was not about that. It, the, you know, we, we were going to do everything we could to be successful in all those ways. But the metrics for us in the very beginning, it was so much about wanting to change the world and wanting for there to be acceptance and tolerance when it came to LGBTQ issues and same-sex marriage and all that. We wanted to have the show in schools in every single city around the country, which is about to happen, um, where parents who obviously wouldn't go see the show or wouldn't watch the movie had to go because their kids are going to be in the show and they're going to hear that story. And I and we hope lives are going to change. So, you know, we went into that with, you know, every intention of having the most successful show possible in every way. But our real goal was to change the world. In speaking of changing the world, I just want to touch on Sammy's personal life for a hot minute because she talks about this Ooh. publicly on, on Instagram. Um, can you tell the story of your of what just happened with your boyfriend and what he's going through now? Yeah. Um, uh, so my boyfriend is a, a humanitarian aid worker. Um, he runs an NGO uh, called Human First Coalition, which um, came about in uh, August and was created to help uh, get folks uh, who needed to get out of Afghanistan because their lives were in danger out of Afghanistan. Um, and then it sort of moved into providing humanitarian aid for people who are still there, who don't have access to um, food, shelter. Uh, and in many cases, uh, a lot of what we're focusing on now is education. Um, and I, 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 you know, am a volunteer for for the organization and, and we work together on a lot of, you know, the initiatives that, that he's working on. Uh, you know, what, what you're mentioning specifically is, um, in December, he made, uh, or this fall, he made two trips back into Afghanistan um, uh, to facilitate aid, and he was sort of helping to negotiate um, the control of the airport in Kabul because the airport was really key to getting aid in and out of the country. Um, and he went in with eight bodyguards. He was uh, there at the invitation of the Taliban. Um, you know, a lot of people, when they hear that, you know, he went to Afghanistan, they were like, 
why was he in Afghanistan? And it was like, well, you know, someone has to do it. But also he had every reason to believe that um, he was protected. The the senior levels of the Taliban had invited him into the country um, with, uh, you know, all these assurances of, of protection. On his second trip in, on the last day of the trip, he was taken uh, captive by the Taliban. Uh, he was held for 105 days. It was uh, horrific. Wow. You know, for the first uh 17 days, we didn't know if he was alive. And then we didn't have really actual communication with him about until about day 45. Even then, it was, you know, very, wow. very difficult. And he was in a uh, eight foot by eight foot basement cell, no window. He couldn't see the sun, um, you know, it, just, you know, very, very bad stuff. But the the sort of, you know, culmination of, of the story is that he's back. It's uh, incredible that uh, he got out. A lot of hostages do not, uh, or, don't, or or it takes a, a long, a long, long time. And that he's right back to work. Um, you know, I keep being like, sit down, rest, rest, sit down. But he really wants to keep doing the work because, you know, Afghanistan is, is deeply in need. And he's also doing a lot of work trying to free fellow hostages. So a um, bit different than musical theater. Does that in any way inform the creative work you're doing right now, Sammy? Or that you plan to do in the future? Yes. Uh, it helps me to think a lot about what matters to me in art. And so much of what he does is impact-driven. And it makes me think a lot about how I can make sure that the projects that I choose, the projects that I pursue, are also impact-driven, that they make the world a better place, in much in the way that his work makes the world a better place. But also, you know, I think he is new to, to you know, Western musical theater. And um, the more that we sort of talk about m my world, the more that we sort of see opportunities to tell stories that could be impactful in the world of his work. So I think, you know, everybody asks us, oh, are you going to make a movie about, um, you know, his, his journey? And um, it's very much something that we're interested in thinking about, but, you know, it's still very fresh. So I think we're figuring out exactly how and with whom and, um, what what the right sure. the right journey is. Also, there are just like a lot of stories uh, in and around this work that telling them might sort of lead to more advocacy and things like that. So yeah, we're trying to figure out how how to merge the two worlds to make the the, the greatest possible impact. Yeah, there's such a story to be told, that. and and in a I guess an awareness that could be made of all the the humanitarian need. I mean, especially here in the U.S., right? And we're coming off of yet another mass shooting as we're recording this episode right now. And things are so messed up. And I said this all the time when we were uh, we were in the pandemic and Broadway was shut down. Like, I, I had to keep recording podcasts. I mean, the problems that we face are so small compared to the, what so many other people face. But, like art heals. We have to be able to express ourselves and connect on a way like it transcends language. It transcends so many, so many things that if we all could just accept each other for who we are, tell stories, enjoy the art as in its most basic form, then, you know, we could come together as a global community in a way that I think we've never been able mm -hmm. to before. This was so lovely. It's a pleasure to officially fully meet you, Dory, and yes, to meet absolutely. you, Sammy. So great to Thank you. meet you. Likewise. Alan, always a pleasure. <laughs> I'll, see, I'll see you in like an hour, <laughs> Dory. <laughs> Dory gets a special prize. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. I love, I love the film. Everyone go watch it. It's on Apple TV. The show must go on. Uh, thank you for the incredible 
gifts that you give to the world. I do. We know that. We know that art heals. We know that art changes the world. And it's just such a pleasure to see the two of you out there doing that work. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much. And thank you for your great podcast. Thanks. Fabulous. You're welcome. What a duo, right? Yeah. The two of them are two of the most, like I said it during the interview, they they are two of the most humble, driven people I have ever had the pleasure of working with. And they do it, like Dory said, they do it for the art. They do it to change the world. They don't do it for a cash grab. Yeah. They're not they're not those people and they're so well respected yeah just lovely I, they said something that i didn't want to dig into too much because i didn't want to take the focus i didn't realize you had a a production role in the film how did yeah. you what was your involvement there when when the covid's hit and everything shut down and nobody knew what to do with themselves technologically because we're used to showing up in person immediately and this is how the broadway podcast network how we continued to produce content we quickly developed a virtual work stream and a virtual studio and a way to like like you and i right now i'm in new york and you're in chicago every single time we record for the most part which i've done for four years so it's fascinating to me that that was a pivot for all of you (laughs) well for the broadway community in general is one of the last industries from a producing standpoint to change technologically. They want to do things how they've always done. They want to do Mm -hmm. advertising how they always do it. And this is, it's, it's a challenge to get the industry to, to stay current with tech. And so one of the easy things that we did was immediately pivot to this online thing. And then, so when we needed to quickly capture, um, some some uh, an interview before the opening night, it was literally before opening night, they were holding the house, they couldn't open the house to let people in for opening night of Cats in South Korea because we were recording with Sammy. So I was online. We were on our online recording workflow that was developed and we were recording Sammy uh, interviewing some footage. So that footage made it into the final documentary. So I got a little credit right at the end. But yeah, that was it. That was that was all um, there was. And There were so many things that I found fascinating. We didn't get to talk about um, how surreal the footage of a completely empty Times Square. It's yeah. wild. I mean, empty subways, empty Times Squares, empty mm-hmm. everything. When literally the marquees being dark, it was go- It was a ghost town. It was yeah. the emptiest I had ever seen anything of this nature. And it was such a different time. There is a photo exhibit at the Peggy Notabart Nature Museum here in Chicago, it's a whole wall of photos. And you look at them, you're like, oh, it's Chicago. It's so pretty. And then you look closer. And then the question above it is, what's missing? And the answer is people and cars. The whole wall of photos hmm. the photographer came out and took were the same thing, no people. I remember that. I remember like there are no there are no people. I remember not putting gas in my car for like three months. I get gas every week, every week, which right now at $6 a gallon sucks. Anyway, um, <laughs> I, I just, I love... The heart-centered connection. How do we make the world better? I loved Sammy's answer to how her boyfriend's situation is informing art. It's mostly just reminding her to make sure that she's connected, right, with the purpose, the reason that she's doing the work. Not, It's not about sharing his story, although that may come. It's just that reminder of making sure that you have the passion for the work that you're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's that's something too. Again, that goes back to like, why are you doing it? Are you doing it for money? Are you doing it for art? Are you doing it for love? It, and yeah. 
if you do it to help other people, then other people are going to help you back. And we say this all the time. A rising tide lifts all ships. Yeah. You're going to grow. Everybody else is going to grow when you're all pointed in the same direction for the same reason. Absolutely. It was a lot of fun. I hope everybody goes and watches and follows everything um, that these incredible ladies are up to. It's It was a fun little kismet connection of chance encounter leading to wonderful things between you and Dory and you and me. And yeah, it's yeah, it's it's just so cool. All the other connections that are out there, like if when you were digging into this stuff, um, if you go to Dory's website for her documentary company, uh, dramaticforces.com, um, you'll see all the stuff she's done. And this is so must go on is listed there as well. But like she's done documentaries on Mark Hamlish and and Carol Channing. She was actually asked to speak at Carol Channing's memorial service when wow. she died. And so like that's that's how much all of this becomes this giant family of people who are trying to do positive things in the world. So, and sammycannell.com, S-A-M-M-I, sammycannell, um, of course, this will all be in the show notes. We're glad you're here, folks. We appreciate that you spend some time with us every couple of weeks. We hope that you will share the episodes with somebody you think it might resonate with. We want to know how you are out embracing chance and opportunity. Uh, tell us. Send us a message. You can find us on Instagram at was it chance at was it chance <laughs> <laughs> at was it chance at was it chance at was it chance. Send us a DM. Reach out. Uh, we want to hear what you're up to. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Was It Chance, the podcast about embracing opportunity and taking intentional risks for your creative life. I'm Alan Seals. And I'm Heather Vickery. Bye now. Bye. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.